But we will jump in and read Job chapter 3. The title of this message is Despairing of Life. These are the words of Job. After spending seven days in silence, surrounded by his friends, meditating on all that had happened to him in the first two chapters. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, May the day of my birth perish, and the night that said, A boy is conceived. That day, may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. That night, may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor be entered in any of the months. May that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. May those who curse days curse that day. Those who are ready to rouse Leviathan. May its morning stars become dark. May it wait for dark daylight in vain and not see the first rays of dawn, for it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me and breasts that I might be nursed? For now I would be lying down at peace. I'd be asleep and at rest with kings and rulers of the earth who built for themselves places now lying in ruins, with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Why was I not hidden away in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? There the wicked cease from turmoil, and there the weary are at rest. Captives also enjoy their ease, they no longer hear the slave drivers shout. The small and great are there, and the slaves are freed from their owners. Why is light given to those in misery, and life to the bitter of soul? To those who long for death that does not come, who search for it more than hidden treasure, who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave. Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. Let's pray together. Lord, we hear these words of your servant Job, despairing of life. Lord, some of us can't understand how someone who believes in you could talk this way. Some of us know exactly how someone who trusts in you can live in desperation and groaning and darkness and bitterness of soul. Lord, we pray for, for those in this room who are not in a time of darkness where things are going well in their lives that, 
you would let them consider it a blessing that they're going through good times right now and, and that you would give them beautiful empathy for those who, like Job in this book, are going through struggles. We pray for those in this room who even now are going through darkness in life, whose soul is crying out much like Job's, despairing of life, wondering why they're here on this planet, wondering why you allow them to continue living. And we pray that you would continue to give them life, that you would continue to minister to them, that you would pull them through this season, that you would surround them with people who can serve them and a community who can love them, and that your grace would sustain them as they walk through this difficult time. We pray that you would teach us what you want to teach us from Job this morning. Teach us from his perspective, from his words, and from your word in this book we read. We pray that you would guide us and be with us as we walk through this text. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a heavy poem. Heavy. This week as I worked on this text and the last couple weeks as I spent time wrestling with it and trying to feel what Job was feeling, where these words were coming from, the two words that stuck out to me more than anything else in this, this whole piece of prose that Job laments are, are the first two words in this chapter, after this. After this, Job opens his mouth. After this, because those words remind me of what kind of season Job had been in. And these words that Job is speaking are not coming in a vacuum. These words are coming after this. After his family was killed in a devastating accident. After all of his business went south. After all of his money was gone. After his health had deteriorated. After boils emerged after, over his entire body. After he scratched himself with rocks to try to give him release from the pain. After his wife said, curse God and die. After this, Job opens his mouth and shares the words we heard this morning. After all this heaviness, Job speaks. I think it's important for us to remember that Job is not a happy story. Now, we know that, right? Job is not a happy story. But if you've ever tried to read the book of Job, like, for fun, you know, or just, <laughs> maybe not for fun, but even just in a Bible study, right, you read the first couple chapters, like, oh, man, this is a page-turner. What's going to happen next, right? And then you're like, what is going to happen next? There's like 30 more chapters of people just yelling at him. And, oh, geez, when, when's, this is not a, I don't like this story, right? It's, I think happy stories, when we read them, or even movies, you know, you go watch a fun movie, and it's like there's conflict, right? If the book of Job was a movie, the opening scene would be like, whoa, what's this going to be about? And then it's like three hours of people lecturing him. Like, oh, what is this movie? This is not a a happy story. Job is not a happy story. Job is a suffer and survive story. And, and knowing that affects the way we come to the text, knowing that it's a suffer and survive story affects the way that we read it, right? Because suffer and survive, that's a real type of movie, right? It's not like Cinderella is not a suffer and survive story, really. It's like a happy ending story. 
Remember that movie, 127 Hours? Did anybody see that? I will never see it. I don't have the stomach for it. That was the movie where the rock climber gets stuck and the 800-pound boulder falls on his arm and he's out in the wilderness and he ends up having to saw through his own arm to get out. And so the movie is just watching him saw through his... Did you see that movie? Watching him saw through his own arm, right? If you go to that movie thinking like, oh, I love Pirates of the Caribbean. I'll probably love 127 Hours. You're not going to like it, right? It's not a happy movie. It's a, a suffer and survive movie. But people go to suffer and survive movies. And not because they're fun, but because there's something about watching someone persevere and hearing their perspective and watching their tenacity and seeing them overcome that does something to us where even though it's not fun to watch a guy saw through his own arm, even though it's not fun to hear about a guy whose life is in shambles and just gets lectured for 30 chapters, it's not a happy, fun story. There's something about watching a godly person suffer that's not fun, but that it ministers to us in some way. It encourages us in some way. It inspires us in some way. It's meant to do something to us on the inside because we get to see the faith of a man who is tested beyond limits. Now, after this, Job speaks. After Job experiences horrendous trials, he speaks. But in the first two chapters of Job, he does more than just experience trials. This lament that Job brings out in chapter 3 happens, sure, after he suffers greatly. If you're taking notes, you can write this stuff down. Suffers greatly. But it also comes after Job is called the godliest man on the planet by God. Right? It comes after Job is handpicked by God to be assaulted by the devil. This lament comes after Job holds on to his integrity throughout the entire affair. This lament comes after Job spends seven days in reflective silence. So God sees Job as the godliest man on the face of the earth. He tells Satan, mess with Job, he's not going to lose his faith. Satan messes with Job, he doesn't lose his faith. His wife says, curse God and die. Job says, no. His friends show up and just sit there with him for seven days where the godliest man on the planet who's gone through the biggest ordeal imaginable gets to think about his perspective on life at the end of a season, or I guess in the middle of a season of intense suffering. And so as Job opens his mouth to speak in chapter 3, we should be very interested in what he has to say. Because his perspective is not just coming from a sufferer, but from a godly man who endured testing and came through and reflected and distilled out this. This poem we read this morning. If Job is the godliest man on the planet, what would you expect him to say? If you're taking the notes, write it down. What would you expect a godly person to say after seven days of, su- or seven days of reflection on their suffering? Did you expect him to say, you know what, God's still in control? You know what, this has been hard, but God is good and my faith will stand. 
Right? You're probably picturing some things that people have said to you when you were suffering, right? All the, the lame little anecdotes they give it to you, like, you know, God helps those who help themselves. I don't know. Like, what, what do you think a godly person would say after a season of reflection on their suffering? Verse 1 says that after this, Job opens his mouth, and Job curses the day he was born. I don't think too many of us wrote that down. <laughs> now, the godliest person on the planet, after suffering and reflected on it, would open his mouth and curse the day he was born. I read a couple commentaries these last few weeks that said that Job, this is an indication that he's lost his faith or he's losing it. That the suffering was just too much for him. He couldn't take it, right? And now he's saying all these dark things. He's talking about not wanting to be alive anymore. And it's evidence that he's no longer the godliest man on earth. His faith has been lost through the ordeal. That's what they said. I don't buy that. I, mean, I don't buy that just because I don't want to buy that. I don't buy that because when I read through Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2, God th goes through a lot of effort to show us that Job is a godly person who did not lose his faith. God tells Satan, Job's the godliest man alive. He will not lose his faith. God says after Job endures the first round of suffering, he did not sin in what he said. God tells us after Job endures the second round of suffering, Job did not sin in all of this, right? God is trying to show us Job is still a godly man throughout all this. He did not lose his faith. And so this man who did not lose his faith opens his mouth and says, I curse the day I was born. Now, this is where Job's perspective starts to give me some comfort. Because if you've ever been in a season where you've cursed the day you were born, I think you can start to take heart that that's not necessarily because you're a terrible person. That sometimes godly people curse the day they were born. Sometimes godly people go through times of desperate darkness. The godliest man on earth could say things like, God, I wish I wasn't alive right now. That's what God can say through Job to us. And if you're in that season now, you're not alone. There's a man who was called the godliest man on earth who said the same things. He curses the day he was born. You know, on one hand, that's a figure of speech. I wish I'd never been born. I cursed the day I was born, right? But the other hand, this is a very specific thing he's doing. Like he's literally, in chapter 3, calling down curses on his birthday. He says, may the day of my birth perish. May God not care about it. May no light shine about it. May gloom and darkness claim it. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. May it not be included among the days of the year. May that night be barren. Make those who curse days curse that day. May its morning stars become dark. May it wait for dark daylight in vain. May it, may it, may it. It's like he's calling down curses like fire and brimstone on the day that he entered the world. It's very specific condemnation. You think of Jesus cursing that fig tree in the Gospels. May no one ever eat fruit from you again, and it just withers and dies. The Bible tells us there's power in blessing and cursing, and Job is using his energy, the little energy that he probably has, to curse his own day of birth actively. And what's he doing here? 
It reminds me a lot of, of Genesis chapter 1 and 2 when God blessed the days that earth came into existence. Remember that story? God creates the stars and the moon, and God said, this is good. God creates the birds and the fish, and God said, that was good, right? God creates the animals. That's good. It's good. It's good. He's calling days blessed. It said after God created the bird that they were good, he blessed them and said to the birds, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And this rhythm we see in Genesis 1 is God creating things, God calling those things good, God blessing those things, and telling those things to reproduce and bear fruit throughout all the earth. It seems like that is what blessing in the Bible is all about. Saying this is a good thing. We want more of it. Let's see more of it emerge. Job does the opposite on the day of his birth. He says, that day was not a blessed day. Those people who shouted, it's a boy when I was born, should be ashamed of themselves. That day was not a day that good came into the world. That day was not a day where anything good came out of it. That's not a day that had positive repercussions. That's not a day that should reproduce anywhere. May it be shut down because that's a cursed day. It was a bad day. A bad thing happened that no good ever came out of it. Because look at my life. Everything I've tried to produce is gone. Nothing came out of my life the day I was born. It was cursed. It's not a day to be celebrated. It's not like the 4th of July where we're going to light off fireworks. Happy birthday, Job. That's, it's a different kind of day. My day is September 11th, Job says. It's a day when something bad happened that changed the world for the worse for the rest of time. That's what my birthday will always be remembered as. Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. What I see in the poem here, in this example of Job, is that in times of suffering, godly people ask hard questions to God. And Job curses the day of his birth, and in that curse, he asks God two specific questions. And first, Job says, God, why did you allow me to be born? Why did you allow me to be born? Why did I not perish at birth? Why did I not die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me? Why were there breasts that I might be nursed? Why was I not hidden away in the ground like a stillborn child? God, why did you even allow me to come into this planet if this was going to be my lot in life? Produce nothing, suffer greatly, hope to die. What kind of life is that, God? I know that life is in your hands. But you knew this is where I'd end up. Why did you even let me step foot on this planet? If I was stillborn, I'd be at rest now. Good men are at rest when they die. Bad men are at rest when they die. God, why? Why did you allow me to be born? And to God, why won't you let me die? Why is light given to those in misery? Why is life given to the bitter of soul? Why is life given to those who long for death that does not come, who search for death more than hidden treasure, who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave? Why do you allow people to live who just want to die so much, God? 
These are the two questions the godliest man on earth asks to God. Why did you let me be born, and why won't you just let me die? If you've ever asked one of these questions to God, you're in good company. As godly people in times of suffering ask real questions to God. Now, these are deep questions. And normally, most of us ask, why, God? Why this suffering? Right? Job's a little deeper than that. We ask, God, how can a good God allow something like this to happen to me? Job doesn't ask that. He's, he's deeper. He's like, God, I trust you. But I trust that you know what you're doing. You made this. Why did you let this come into the world? God, I trust that you're good, but I'm asking you for death and you won't give it to me. Why, why don't you just answer my prayer? I don't see what the reason is for me to keep on living when the sum total of my life is zero. Why? I read this passage and I ask, is Job suicidal here? If I had a friend who was talking like this, I would be very nervous. Saying, why doesn't God let me die? I pray for death every day. I want death so much, like I'm searching for hidden treasure. That's how much I'm searching for death. I just want it so bad, but God won't let me die right. That would make me very nervous to have someone say that to me. And so I read this passage and I think, is that, is that Job? Is Job wanting to take his own life? Is Job at that level of desperation? And I think yes and no. I think Job is absolutely at the level of desperation where people take their own lives. And I've known some folks who have been in that place, and I think that's where Job is right here. And it's dark, and it's scary, and it's a place that none of us want to go, but some of us end up in that place where all we can see is the viable solution is ending it all. And, and it seems like that's where Job is. But at the same time, as I read through Job's words here, I realize that there's something in his life that's keeping him from doing that. And the only thing keeping him alive at this point is his faith in the Lord. But the last thing that Job heard before this seven days of silence was his wife say, curse God and die. Job, you've lost everything. You've lost your money, you've lost your family, you've lost your wealth, you've lost your business, you've lost your health, you've lost it all. You're just clinging on to God like he's a rope on a hot air balloon and you're floating around above the ground. Just let go and you'll die. Curse him. Turn your back for a moment. He's the only one sustaining you. Let go of the rope, fall to your death, and the misery will be over. And that's the last thing Job hears is his wife say that to him. And Job's sitting there, he's hanging on to the rope, and he's yelling up to God saying, God, please cut the rope I'm hanging to. God, all I want to do is fall to my death, God. I'm not letting go of this rope, though. You told me to hold on to it, but please just cut it, God. Drop it over the edge. Throw me to my death, God. I'm going to hold on to you until you let me fall in this abyss, God. But you have to pull the trigger, God. I can't do it. It's you. Please, God, let me die. Why aren't you listening to me? Why am I still hanging here? And Job is so desperate that he wants death more than anything else. But the faith that God has been pointing to since the first verses of this book is the only thing that's hoping, help, keeping him clinging to the rope from falling to his death. This is a tough story. A man who loses everything but his faith. 
And as he holds on to his faith, he pleads with God to take his life from him and watches as God ignores that prayer. He's the most godly man on the face of the earth. Now, suffering is real. And suffering does real hard stuff to us. I read through this story of Job, and maybe you're reading it through it today, and I thought, what are some things that we can glean from this story? And I wrote a few of them down, and you can write these things down too, a few observations about Job's lament. First, I think Job's heartfelt lament gives us empathy these last few weeks, as, been, as I have been wrestling with this passage, even these last few months as I've been reading through the book of Job, my heart goes out to this guy who's been dead for thousands of years. What has happened to Job is devastating, and his struggle is so real, and I know so many people who have had struggles and phrases like this to God. You read this, and you can't help but be moved for those who are mourning. And I think that's one of the reasons this book is in the Bible is so that we might mourn with those who mourn. So that we might learn that when people are saying things like this to us that we're hearing in Job, that it's not because they're sinners. It's because they're going through a really hard time and no way seems up. All they want is death because life does not seem worth living. That's a real thing that godly people face. And the book of Job, his heartfelt lament can give us empathy. You know, these friends of Job, they come and they just sit there for seven days and they're with him. And then they open their mouths and like ruin everything. I think one thing we can learn from the book of Job is that when people are suffering, they don't need our lectures, right? They, they need us. And sometimes they're not going to want us around, but we have to pray for people. We have to be with people. We have to serve people. We have to care for people. Our hearts need to be broken for people who are in these seasons because like Larry said last week, we all go through suffering at different levels and we need each other. Job's lament here can give us empathy, but I think it can also give us inspiration. Inspiration in the way that like watching a movie about a guy cutting his arm off can inspire us, right? Not like, oh, I hope someday I'll have the strength to cut off my own arm, right? Not like that. We never wish the suffering upon ourselves, but I think I would die if I was stuck under a rock because I wouldn't have the strength to cut off my own arm. And I read the book of Job and I think, God, I don't know if I would survive all this. Job, it's, it's so beautiful that he had the resolve of faith to stay alive through all this and that you were good enough to him to keep him alive through all this. It's inspirational to see someone suffer well. I think we're supposed to be inspired by the faith of Job. Inspired not like I want to suffer too, but inspired like, man, I hope that if I do ever have to suffer, I suffer that way. Because this is a man, though, all he wanted was death he would not let go of God and take his own life. He just kept clinging to God even when he was in darkness and did not know where he was going. He just trusted and trusted and trusted in the Lord. That's inspiring. And the Job story should inspire us. And finally, I think Job's lament should give us motivation. I've been thinking a lot about what it would be like to hang from like a hot air balloon and swing around and like just try not to fall. And I was thinking, you know how much grip strength it would take 
to like hold onto a rope and just hang there. I know Job wasn't literally hanging from a rope. He wasn't literally like hanging on a branch over a cliff or anything. But I keep imagining him like he's hanging on this branch over this big canyon and he's saying, God, please let me die. Break this branch, right? And we're all thinking, if you want to die so bad, just let go, right? He's like, no, I'm never letting go, but I want God to break the branch. If you were ever in that situation, like you fell off the, I'm making it up, you fell off the Grand Canyon, not a thing, but you did, and you caught a branch, not a thing, but you did, and you're hanging there, here's the deal. You're hanging there for dear life, and the only thing keeping you alive in that moment is the strength of your grip, right, and the grace of God. That's it. You're just holding and hoping that someone rescues you before your strength gives out. And in that moment, when you're hanging off the edge of the cliff and you're holding on to the branch, you can't do a few push-ups and get stronger in that moment, right? You can't decide you're going to eat less cheeseburgers in that moment so you're a little lighter weight to hold up in that moment, right? Your time is here, right? All you can rely on when you're hanging from the branch and you're hanging from the rope, all you can rely on is the strength that you've cultivated up to that moment in your life. That's all you got, right? Job, in this time of suffering, he was only able to rely on the faith that he had cultivated up to this point in his life. Suffering is not a time where you can just grow in your faith. Be like, you know what? I'm going to power through this by the grace of God, right? You can't just conjure up faith when things get bad. In times of intense suffering, all we can rely on is the faith that we've cultivated up to that point. And so when I read Job's story, I'm inspired, I have empathy, but I'm motivated to grow my faith. Because I read this and I think, I don't know if I have the tenacity that I could survive. In the same way, I don't have the tenacity to survive 127 hours cutting off my own arm. I don't know if I could survive suffering like this. I don't know if my faith is strong enough. I think, man, I want that to motivate me to grow my faith. A godly person endures suffering through God's sustaining grace and the faith they've cultivated up to that point. I think it's a lesson we can learn from Job. You know, I'm the first to say that Job did not get through his suffering because of his own merit, that Job is alive in this point because God has kept it. It's all up to God. It's not up to him that we shouldn't say, I want to be like Job when I grow up. We should say, I want to be like Jesus when I grow up, right? I get that. But man, I can't help but hear a story about a man whose faith was strong and not want motivation for my faith to be stronger too. You know, if you're wondering how to grow your faith, I've put a few passages on here. If you need more faith, ask for it. Faith's not, you can't like go to the gym and grow faith, right? You can't like drink faith shakes and cultivate mass, right? <laughs> Ephesians 2.8 says that faith is not from yourself. It's a gift from God. God gives us faith. And so that's why we can take heart. Those of us who are in times of suffering, yeah, you can't cultivate more faith like a bodybuilder at that point, but you can ask God for the faith to survive. I think of that man where Jesus says, uh, comes to those who believe. He says, I believe, help my unbelief, right? In that moment, he says, I have enough belief to respond positively to you, God, but I don't have enough to get me through this. Give me more. And that's what God's saying. Ask for it. Faith comes from him. So if you're thinking, man, I don't have the faith to get through suffering well, Start today asking God for the gift of faith. Hebrews 11 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
that when we come to him, we must believe he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And if you don't have faith in God, if you're not a believer in Jesus, you have, like, I don't even have a faith in general. You can't just, like, start going to church and, like, pump up some faith, right? You go to the Lord and say, God, I'm new to this. I don't have faith in you. But you say if if we get it, it's because you gave it to us. God, please, I believe you exist. I believe you reward people who are doing things like this. The reward I want is faith, God. Give it to me, please. And faith comes and faith grows and is cultivated as we cling to God for it. And so don't read this story of Job and say, you know what, I'm going to become a Christian all-star. I'm going to memorize the Bible. Then I'm going to have the faith to stand, right? If you want to be like Job, worship the God of Job. Go to that God in good times and in bad and say, God, please add to my faith because I don't think I could survive something like this. And today, if you're in that season now, come to him even now and say, God, I need faith because I don't want to do this anymore. I'm only alive because you're keeping me alive and I don't know how much longer I can hold on to this thing, God. Please do what you need to do, God. Be honest with God, be real with God, but ask God for what you need and trust that he'll give it to you. And, and sometimes we don't have the resolve in our hearts to do that in a season where it feels like all is hopeless and we're just kidding ourselves that things will ever get better. But with the strength that you do have, ask God to keep you sustained, to grow you. And, and we want to be people who can come around you in your time of need. Maybe not to open our mouths and lecture you, but maybe just to sit there with you and show you that we love you and that we're with you and that we care.